Well, good afternoon, good evening. On this seventh day of April 2020, this is the City Council work session by Zoom. And so happy that all of our, I think I see all of our counselors here. I see, I'm gonna go according to my screen, Laura Burgess, Councillor Burgess, Councillor Mims, Councillor Salee. I don't see, I see Councillor John Thomas. I'm gonna have you all respond actually, make sure that you can hear. So Councillor Burgess. Yeah, can you hear me, Mayor? I sure can. Great. And then Councillor Mims. I'm here. Councillor Salee. Yeah. Councillor Weiner. She was here a minute ago. I see her. <laughs> She's here, yeah. She chatted, said she has no audio. Okay. It happened to me. I have to log out and log in again. I know she's tried that already. While she's still working on that, I'll continue to go down the list as I see the counselors. Councillor Thomas? Yes, I'm here. But Great. can you see me? I cannot see you. I can yeah, hear you. I can't see myself either. Okay. I had to turn my video on down the left-hand corner of my screen, John, and that was new for me today. Oh, okay. There we go. Thanks. There you are. Yep, we can see you. And Councillor Taylor. Councillor Taylor. Yes, I'm here. I got it figured out now. Thanks to Kelly. Right. Yep, I'm ready to go. I'm good to go. <laughs> awesome, thank you. You're welcome. And then just Councillor Weiner. Still no audio. I think I'm up and running now. Great. <laughs> All right, so our counselors are here and welcome to everybody else that is a part of our work session. We're gonna start with our long awaited Climate Action Commission presentation on a recommended related items for the 100-day uh, climate action report. And that's an IP3. We have Matt Krieger that's going to lead this discussion for us. So welcome, Matt. And we can't hear you. All right, can you see me okay and hear me? Yes. yes. All right. I'll probably just put this uh, back on my still image while I'm presenting, but I'm going to share, I'm logged in on two different computers here so I can share my screen, um, which is the document that was um, sent by the commission with our recommendations. Um, and I will walk through kind of the highlights of that uh, in case you uh, haven't read it in full detail yet. Um, but so yeah, let me uh, switch this over now. Right. Can you see that okay? Yes. 
Yes. Okay. Uh, so at the front of our recommendations, we had a summary letter um, just outlining, again, some of the highlights. Uh, I've actually highlighted them here uh, to walk through it. But the process was uh, that the commission took was that each of our working groups, buildings, transportation, waste, equity ad ad adaptation, and the outreach working groups all reviewed the actions in the 100-day report specifically related to their areas uh, of the action climate action plan. Uh, and then they provided the feedback, uh, and uh, we met as a commission to review that in more detail, uh, discuss that, and then uh, put together this final document uh, with all of the uh, comments included. Uh, and we'll get to those here in a moment. Uh, the I will say that the climate action as a commission, a climate action commission as a whole, recommends that all the actions be implemented at some point, um, which we understand to be the intent from the city uh, from the city staff. Uh, they have, if you might have noticed, uh, uh, shown them being phased in over a period of time. So some, uh, some actions would happen sooner uh, than others. Uh, generally, the working groups prioritized and provided feedback on the education-based action items. Uh, there's a lot of things that can be done in that area, uh, which are uh, you know, building awareness, uh, educating the public about certain um, components of the plan. Uh, the working groups, especially buildings, recognize the importance of both incentive-based and regulatory-based approaches. Um, we know that different, uh, different approaches uh, impact different kinds of stakeholders or people in the community differently. Um, some are, you know, really need that, that, that stick and others really prefer the carrot. So a, a good balanced approach uh, uh, is identified within these uh, and, is a, and is a good approach. Uh, it should also be noted that two of the working groups recommended um, the adaptation action item, equity review of neighborhood and population outreach, be made a higher priority. Uh, we'll get to a little bit more in detail down below here on uh, uh, the approach to equity overall. Uh, but keep in mind that the equity and adaptation working group and the outreach working group are both cross-cutting uh, groups. Their, their focus is not just to look at one specific area of the plan, but to look across all of them and also to think about more broadly uh, the implementation of these uh, and how that might be done. And then um, within each of the actions, a robust implementation plan will be needed. This is, uh, if you want to think of the overall climate action plan as a general broad-based framework, our original 35 actions, this 100-day um, report included these 64 more specific actions, which gets, gets us to the next step. But then each of those actions will require uh, a very rigorous implementation plan associated with that. So we can identify more specific goals, uh, what all the resources will be required for each of them, and then uh, you know who might be impacted by it. And as part of that, it also needs to address equity and what uh, might be the most equitable approach to each of them. Uh, the equity and adaptation working group again noted that the overall report um, lacks specific actions and implementation timelines regarding equity, uh, focusing more on broader objectives, which is probably fine at this point. But I think, uh, again, as we look at each, as as the staff looks at each one of the individual actions, uh, well, that will need to be de uh, developed uh, more specifically with each one. So. What we did, the commission did, was we kept maintained the same format that was present that the hundred day report was presented in, and then just added in, layered in our feedback. Um, so if you if you do happen to have a copy of the hundred day report next to you, um, 
the we're starting on what would have been page 10 of that report. Uh, and this is what outlined uh, the kind of the time frame or the phasing of the actions uh, and how they might be implemented. Uh, usually it was based on the amount of effort or you know engagement that needed to be required and if things had already been started um, or not. Um, but we also recommended, the commission is recommending that we actually apply more than just a color coding to this. Uh, a more equitable approach would actually be to, uh, to uh, label them, uh, do different methods for identifying things. So in this case, we're just saying add the simple texts, phase one, phase two, phase three, to the color coding. <laughs> So the first section then is buildings. Um, at the start of each of the sections here, uh, you'll see that there's a, um, an overall recommendations from the working group that was associated with that particular section. And then uh, the format follows that within the tables that were originally developed, uh, the commission um, provided an additional column here, added a column where our specific feedback was included. So rather than trying to sort through a bunch of different documents or uh, presentations that we're giving to you, uh, we're trying to consolidate it here all in one place so that it's easy to read and understand. Uh, and then we've also added the phasing again to the color coding. So overall, uh, the building's working group um, uh, looked at several of the items that were um, high priority uh, they had recommendations for those as a couple of the education actions, a couple of the incentive actions, and a couple of the regulation actions. Most of these are uh, correlating, they relate to each other. Um, we'll get uh, to a couple of these other recommendations here in a moment that we're changing priorities for a couple of them. And then, um, and then a couple of revisions. So we'll dive a little bit deeper here now. Within buildings education action number one, um, this is promoting energy efficiency and performance tips to the public. This being a uh, you know a big potential uh, impact because buildings again uh, is the largest potential um, source of greenhouse gas emissions that we can get across the city, and that's split between uh, new buildings and existing buildings, and between residential buildings and commercial buildings, and so. Uh, it's important that we get everyone on board in the community because we can't just do it with going and talking to specific builders or large owners and developers who are working on the big buildings. We need to focus on, on our residential and existing stock as well. Um, there is an action later uh, within this overall chart that speaks to um, outreach and the approach to that, and that is to develop the Climate Ambassadors Program. Um, and. Uh, one of the things that the outreach uh, working group identified was that that climate ambassadors group could really impact many of these actions. So where that's potentially possible, uh, that is noted within our feedback. Uh, and that is something that is uh, a program that is looking to get started uh, uh, right now, uh, within the next month or so, uh, developing that. Um, the other thing that we uh, noted here is that um, we should also be coordinating with other, our other community partners like the Iowa City Community School District on this effort, especially now that they have their own climate action plan. Um, we could be uh, working with them on that as well. Uh, developing a website to showcase home energy efficiency success stories, um, which would be a great educational and awareness tool, community awareness. Uh, we also want to um, request that as you move forward in developing this action uh, in more detail, that we get more specific metrics uh, for um, more specific data, the dialed in data uh, that we can really look at. Right now, the data is really community wide, uh, looking at the entire community. But if we could start looking at more of a neighborhood by neighborhood case uh, basis, 
you know, still maintaining privacy and security for, for everyone, but uh, looking at it in a bit more detail, that's going to be important going forward. And then providing a reporting tool uh, would be important part of this action for homeowners to effectively understand and measure the energy efficiency changes. You know, uh, um, if you think about back to uh, Mid-American uh, when they were providing the kind of relationship of, oh, how well are you doing compared to your, your neighbors? Am I doing better or worse? This would take that kind of to the next step, make it a bit more uh, effective and understandable and what you're actually doing, uh, how you're actually performing. Uh, so education action, action item number two, partnering with stakeholders to promote green building and rehabilitation was another high priority action. Again, we need to be able to um, really affect, impact our existing building stock. And that's that's going to be a very hard challenge uh, within, within the community to do. And so um, this is one of those high priority items that can really make an impact in that, in that, uh, that segment. Um, and so... Uh, so, yeah, so we want to also make sure that we are, again, applying an equity-focused uh, approach to this. Uh, affordable housing should be a consideration. Um, and, uh, you know, just a, getting a cross-cutting with, with the different staff who, who impact different aspects of the, uh, of the community here. Um, but it will take, as part of the overall implementation plan, it will take developing the list of uh, detailed list of partners that would that would be helpful in uh, in working on this. Uh, action item number uh, education item number three, which is related to coordinating with the local realtor community um, to green the MLS, the multiple listing services. Uh, we recommended just moving this one from a blue uh, phase two to a green phase one priority, and that's because we're really already started working on this um, uh, as, a, as a working group uh, with the commission, uh, trying to set up some meetings with the local Iowa City Area Association of Realtors. Uh, this has been very successful in other communities. Um, one of the reasons we're focusing on it is that uh, it, it creates a demand for green building. So if you can show uh, and be more transparent about what are the features um, that are uh, sustainable uh, within um, within the listing service, then that creates, that shows people what's out there. It creates a demand for more of it, um, which then uh, incentivizes people to do more on the rehabilitation side um, to create those uh, and incorporate those sustainable uh, aspects. So that's one thing that we think can help drive the market differently than some of the other actions that are uh, in the report. Moving on to uh, buildings, the incentive-based actions. Uh, so uh, action number one here, offering free home energy assessments through the Green Iowa AmeriCorps. We saw this as a high priority action. Um, and I'll get to a, a few more of the specific recommendations below. Um, within each of the sections, uh, if there was kind of a, a more detailed approach uh, that was kind of pulled out of the chart and put down below. Um, so we'll get to that here in a moment. Uh, action item number two was enhancing energy standards for city rehab projects. Uh, we saw this again as a high priority action uh, that if we are moving forward with these programs, we need to be able to, to apply uh, a rigorous standard to those. Uh, so there's some additional detail that was included here in the feedback uh, about the types of things that could be incorporated as part of that more detailed implementation plan. Um, uh, so 
something that would be, be worth looking at in more detail. Again, there are other uh, communities that have had success stories related to some of these, and so we can uh, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. Uh, we can copy what's being done in other communities. Uh, again, we're generally supportive of all these other actions that I'm not going into detail, more detail here today. But uh, incentive option number six, which was develop or partner with local state stakeholders on a comprehensive climate action rehabilitation program. Uh, this really uh, relates well to um, some of the education-based actions. And so we're recommending that are, that are happening sooner. And so to really tailor those and partner those together, we're recommending that that be moved up in priority. And I think the other part of this is that there are uh, things already starting to happen, rehab programs that are happening. Uh, and so it's just a matter of scaling those up. Okay. So that um, incentive action number one, um, more detailed uh, recommendations down here are included. Again, thinking more about to that next step of developing a more rigorous implementation plan. These are some things that should be thought of as part of that. Um, making sure that we have a strong education component for residents, uh, especially uh, within the program, uh, not just having the Green Iron America team come in and do the, do the upgrades or the updates, but having more of an education part of that um, so that it uh, is operated as well, um, so that it's, uh, the upgrade is, is effective. Uh, we also want to ensure that we have measurement um, so that we understand uh, the quality of the improvements um, and not just the quantity. Uh, again, uh, equity needs to be thought of as part of this. Um, what are the groups that uh, are being impacted? Uh, who's benefiting from this? Uh, and the Green Iowa AmeriCorps program has been pretty good about that in the past, as has um, the HACAP program. Uh, and then also thinking not just about energy, but all about some of the other, what the other upgrades could do for the health and indoor air quality. Um, and, and just better, uh, you know, as you, as you do weatherization projects or you seal up homes, uh, what are the things, uh, what is the air quality like then within that home? Uh, and so are you, are you creating a, a negative impact uh, trying to make the, the um, residents more energy efficient? So it's just some things that need to be thought of uh, that might not be uh, at first glance. All right, so then within the regulation section of buildings, uh, high priority action that we saw was to create a more robust energy code inspection program uh, and that uh, the households are benefiting from the reduced utility bills, uh, something that we need to think of as part of this. Um, And then one of the other things we looked at was that for those projects that are getting um, uh, a TIF support, tax increment financing, uh, that the uh, that they don't sunset after a defined period. So that we want to maintain that affordable housing component um, for a longer period of time. As part of action number two, we saw this uh, regulation action number two incorporate stricter energy standards into the TIF policies. Um, you know, some of this has already been started when it comes to um, uh, as part of the current policy, but this is looking at it in a little bit more uh, strict and robust uh, way. Um, and then as part of uh, item number three, incorporating those standards into some of the other uh, incentives. So for example, the height and density bonuses, we recommend that this action be moved up as it's something that's already being discussed. 
um, and it's um, and the TIF um, policies are already in place, so it's something that can easily that could be applied to some of these other incentive programs. Um, we think that if the if the city is going to have incentive programs, no matter what they are, rehab programs, um, it could be, for instance, the um, the rehab for you know storefronts downtown. Whatever the whatever the program is, it should incorporate some kind of uh, energy efficiency requirements um, and and be aligned with the climate action plan going forward. Uh, within the uh, city policy section under buildings, uh, under advocate for local control of energy codes, one of the things that we looked at as, as a working group here uh, in the commission was a suggested revision to this. Um, having different codes, um, localized codes, could create uh, uh, potential issues, uh, especially in confusion within the building industry, because the building industry, both uh, builders, designers, uh, they work across jurisdictions, and uh, having a, a whole lot of different uh, codes, uh, energy codes, uh, could create uh, other potential problems. And so one of our uh, suggested revisions here is that we advocate that the state always adopt the most current energy code uh, and then explore other energy code opportunities as part of incentive programs. And those, there are those, those do exist out there, including um, the zero code. Uh, so that's something that could be reviewed in more detail and, and what the application of that could look like. Okay. So I think that's what we had as far as highlights that we wanted to go through on the building section. Um, do we want to maybe as part of this format just see if there's any questions within each part or wait till the end? Maybe we'll wait till the end. Okay. Unless someone has something. All right. So within the transportation um, section, there uh, wasn't a lot of uh, specific changes uh, recommended uh, to this, either to the timeline or to the actions that were being recommended. Again, um, just supporting all of the actions and recommending that all of them be done at some point. Um, Within the commission feedback, though, and from the working group, uh, a lot of the comments that uh, came up as part of this section were related to making sure that we are engaging um, a broad-based uh, group of people within our community um, and that we are taking, again, an equitable approach uh, to that. Um, and so uh, just because within, again, this current framework, these, these charts, uh, there wasn't a lot of detail provided. Again, it's just a it's a it's a specific action with a description and a goal. Um, but as that uh, implementation plan is developed in more detail, those are things that need to be uh, looked at more closely. Uh, one of the other things that we wanted to highlight here with the uh, transportation incentives, uh, as far as incentivizing the public transit options. Uh, is considered a partnership with Iowa State Community School District. Uh, there's a lot of uh, bus riders uh, that would be impacted with the with the program uh, that attend the schools, both staff and students. And so that's one that we probably want to reach out to uh, along with the university and have a more engaged uh, approach. Uh, 
and so yes there weren't really again a lot of changes to this section um so overall it was it was well put together well thought of as far as the overall number of uh of actions uh, one of the things that was brought up as part of the as part of this project uh, action number one uh, with the completion of the transit study and the implementation of that uh, we just need to make sure that it's thoughtfully it's thoughtfully linking uh, planned activity activities uh, with uh, and and realizing the benefits to underserved and vulnerable communities again so um, I, I believe as part of the study, what we heard um, from uh, those conducting it was that the uh, that there was uh, interviews and um, surveys done specific to where people want to go, want, want to travel, and so making sure that that's incorporated would be an effective approach. Uh, moving on to waste. So overall, our community is doing very well on the waste uh, approach in general. Um, as part of the education action item one here, though, uh, not just engaging the public to compost organic waste uh, res through residences, but also through businesses. Um, uh, we do we do recognize that uh, businesses usually have a um, you know hire a uh, privately a hauling company for um, recycling and composting, uh, but this is more about awareness and uh, engagement, and so we need to think more than just uh, the residences, but also the businesses in our community and how they could contribute. And again, the Climate Ambassador Program that I mentioned earlier is, um, could assist with some of these education uh, actions and campaigns. <laughs> Otherwise, generally, uh, we were supportive of all the uh, actions within the waste section. This one policy action uh, was recommended that it be moved up to the next step, uh, the phase one action instead of a phase two, which is requiring all public uh, park, public space rentals to recycle and use green event practices. Uh, this is something that we have good models for already. Um, so it, it seems like it could be done sooner rather than later. Moving on to adaptation. So again, the equity and adaptation working group looked at this section in detail. Uh, they, did rec they did notice that the report, again, lacked specific actions and implementation timelines concerning equity, uh, and that the, uh, the items that re are related to equity in the report are few, lack urgency, and lack permanence. And so again, this just goes back to, again, this is more of a, a, broad a, a broader framework objectives and ideas uh, as part of the more detailed implementation those should be looked at more closely um, and it's something that both city staff can look at um, as part of the development but as, as we incorporate some of our community partners uh, you know the outreach that's conducted who's involved in developing those programs uh, that should be a, a diverse group of people as well uh, it shouldn't just be um, staff or a commission it should be larger group of people that are contributing to the overall development of these actions and not just part of what happens on the back end through implementation. Uh, so adaptation action uh, number one was developing the climate ambassador program. Uh, I have a bit more detailed information below this chart that I'll get to here in a moment. 
uh, as part of Education Action Number Four, a concentrated education campaign for private properties about native plantings, permanent pavement, rain gardens, soil health, rain barrels, and cisterns. Uh, overall, we uh, think that uh, that we should consider opportunities for coordinated education efforts with the local agencies, as well as coordination of existing and expanded programs that incentivize stormwater as management practices on private property. Um, so again, it's more of just coordinating a lot of the things that are out there that exist um, uh, and, and looking at additional uh, opportunities within them. Uh, under education action number five, which was coordinated efforts with local emergency agencies, um, part of the thing that we're thinking here is that this needs to also include critical infrastructure entities. So this wouldn't um, just be the government entities, but also uh, uh, Entities like the local utilities uh, would probably need to be involved as part of that as well. All right, so with the, I won't go through, and there's quite a bit of information here that was developed by the outreach working group as part of the Climate Ambassadors Program development. Um, really thinking in more detail about what that looks like. Uh, I think they're farther along on that because um, they are uh, looking at developing that uh, with the additional staff that were being hired um, as part of uh, the climate action efforts. Um, and so that'll be kicking off here in the next month or two. Um, but this is just broadly, this is a group, ambassador program is a group of people that would be trained by staff and or the commission members uh, to go out into the community, attend events, uh, be part of our normal community things that are going on, uh, like farmer's markets, like, uh, uh, you know, the, the, some of the arts programs, um, just kind of attending everything that is in the community, but also setting up uh, events and things like the listening posts that uh, council members uh, conduct uh, to try to bring input um, to the to the action plan and not just uh, not just teaching or, or creating awareness. Uh, it should be uh, kind of a two way conversation that's happening there. Uh, we don't want to just push things on onto the community. It needs to come from the community, uh, and that's where we're going to be uh, most effective. So that would be part of the climate ambassadors' um, uh, mission or effort. <clears throat> uh, part of it also needs to look at the equity stakeholder mapping. Um, so, you know, again, who are the who are the groups that are benefiting or being impacted uh, by? Um, by the efforts, uh, by the actions, uh, and and developing outreach targets, or looking at who those stakeholders might, might potentially be, uh, that we could do some um, some focused outreach. And then at the bottom of this list is the overall uh, the, the number of actions or the specific actions that could be impacted by that climate ambassador program, um, and these were included in that in that chart above um, where it was at. One of the other things that the outreach working group um, looked at more closely was um, promoting education action number three. Again, this is um, educating and coordinating with local agencies on the health impacts. Um, one of the reasons that we highlighted this um, was that this is a way to really um, reach out to people and think about climate action um, and climate uh, impacts and climate change differently than what they would, might normally think about it. Um, if, if it's impacting your health, then you might, uh, that might speak to different types of people differently. Uh, and so uh, we really thought that this could um, create more, some effective action, uh, broad-based action in the community 
Uh, and so we started thinking about, you know, what are the agencies that should be included on that? The staff could, um, could partner with these and create a kind of a kickoff meeting to really start looking at what are the more specific things we need to be looking at, what resources need to be pulled together to better understand the impact of climate change uh, on, on our human health, that research, that research exists. So it's a matter of kind of pulling that together uh, and then developing specific actions around it. Um, so we thought this was something that uh, should happen sooner rather than later. Um, and uh, uh, it might involve potentially some of you <laughs> as, uh, uh, if you're interested in being a part of that effort. And so looking down here a little bit farther under the adaptations um, uh, projects, again, these are related back to some of what was mentioned earlier in the adaptation section on um, coordinating some of the um, stormwater management programs um, and, uh, and applying those to public and private development, not just residential development, um, to make them more broad-based. And then this was the uh, so project action number four, which is the equity review of neighborhood and population outreach, developing an outreach plan for populations of highly impacted by climate change. Uh, this really uh, is critical to all of the actions, and so something that should be moved up to phase one uh, and developed sooner rather than later. I think probably it was set in this time frame as part of phase two uh, because of the amount of time or effort that would be needed to put it together, but it is something that needs to be done probably right away. Okay. Uh, then moving on to sustainable lifestyle, uh, the last section. And so um, a lot of this is uh, uh, action ed education action number one, uh, hosting sustainability forums and events. This goes right to what we were talking about with the Climate Ambassador Program um, and what they could be um, focusing their efforts on. Um, Launching the Green Business Program, Climate Action at Work action, Education Action and Item Number Two should be a top priority to promote upgrades in existing commercial buildings. Uh, oftentimes, the incentive programs that are out there are related to new construction, uh, so this is something that would help promote it within the existing commercial building uh, stock um, in a hard-to-reach um, group. The, re the rehab programs could do that as well on both the residential and commercial side. Uh, and as part of that um, launching the green business program, we did have some additional recommendations, specific recommendations here uh, um, about tracking energy use in buildings, about uh, helping uh, businesses do this. And this is something I think city staff are already starting to roll out. Uh, it's it's, it's uh, kind of like a pilot project uh, to um, help some of the businesses in the community track or understand how much energy they're using, um, share that information. Uh, and eventually, maybe that rolls into a benchmarking program that is uh, in a later phase. Um, but it could easily start with the Energy Star Portfolio Manager uh, as a baseline. Uh, this is one area. This program is one area that could um, that could uh, be a good spot for some future financial incentives. So for green, uh, for businesses that are looking to make upgrades once they've understood their um, understood their 
energy use um, and how they compare to uh, baseline buildings of their type uh, across the across the U.S., then they could start then identifying uh, what are the upgrades that are, that might be needed, and so that'll take some money and it, um, maybe it's a, a cost share uh, with those uh, property owners um, to be able to uh, make those upgrades. Um, they would probably one need uh, it takes funding to do the assessment uh, as far as what projects they could do, and then of course implement those projects. So that's a potential item for future, um, you know, future incentives and expansion of the rehab programs. All right. And so then I think the rest of these um, sustainable lifestyle actions were generally supportive of. Um, I don't think there was anything um, that was too, uh, too critical to highlight, but... That gives you an overview of what we were looking at as a commission. Um, certainly willing to take any questions or discussion on any of them. Well, I'll just uh, start by saying how impressed I am with the um, rigor that you applied to the uh, climate action plan. I'm very impressed with the thoroughness of your review. Uh, I also uh, support this emphasis that you've given on the um, question of equity, uh, which is something I think we just have to continually be mindful of uh, as we move forward on the plan. And uh, I also appreciated your emphasis on public health, which with this infectious disease epidemic that we are dealing with at the moment, um, it seems to me that may be something to consider and try to integrate or at least coordinate uh, because it, you know many people are speaking about how what lessons can be learned from the coronavirus and how we've responded to it. And I think there may be some opportunities there to um, consider how infectious diseases and climate action relate to one another. I've had a chance to talk to a few of the commissioners. Am I echoing? No. No, okay. I've had a chance to talk to a few of the commissioners and have been pretty impressed with their involvement with all of this <laughs> report, which was a lot. Um, one thing I wanted to really mention here is the outreach working group and what is planned for the future, I think is gonna be very imperative that we reach a lot of people to really express the, the seriousness of the action plan and how their involvement can get us to reach the goals. That's where I'm feeling that the greatest impact is gonna be is through that outreach. So I'm happy to know that there was a lot of time and attention put to that. The equity, I'll just echo what John just said, because it's pretty important that uh, we realize what is created now. It will even change in the future as to the equity. And so just wanted to make sure that we are aware that at times we may have to make some adjustments to meet some of those equi equity uh, challenges for people in our community. Yeah, I, I would echo the comments of John. 
appreciate, I'm sorry, I accidentally muted myself there. Appreciate the hard work. Um, the commission went through this, obviously, spent a lot of time analyzing it and appreciate that. One comment that I guess I would have is given the circumstances we are in and some of the things I've been hearing in the last few days, it sounds like even when we come out of this pandemic, it's not going to be going back to the old normal so much. And I think as the commission looks at some of these outreach um, plans, there may need to be some adjustments made or, or thought of adjustments if we still have um, issues of interpersonal contact. Um, so I just it, it's just something to keep in mind because I, people don't think we're going back to the old normal once, once the social distancing, distancing starts letting up. So it's just something to keep in mind. I had a specific question, um, Matt, thank you to you and your commission for all of the work. Um, just one item under the buildings section, there's a public project subsection um, that I think you just indicated you, the commission agreed with kind of what was set forth here. Um, number one action, which was slated for, um, and I'm sorry, I don't have a, it's page eight in what I'm looking at. Yep. So that number one, and if I understand the color coding, that's sort of this year, 2020, but continuing into the future. Um, the utility scale solar installation of two megawatts or greater. Um, did the commission or the working group, the building working group, talk about that much or have feedback on that particular item? Um, again, yeah, we were generally supportive of that action because we need to be able to um, increase the amount of renewable energy uh, that is part of our grid within our community, which helps reduce our greenhouse gas emissions overall. Uh, obviously, I think that's going to that probably needs to be phased in multiple projects over time. Um, the you know one of the things with Mid Americans. Um, uh, uh, renewable energy portfolios that is mostly made up of wind energy. Uh, and uh, sometimes the wind doesn't blow. In fact, it blows more in the winter than it does in the summer. And it pairs well when you combine it with solar power photovoltaic projects uh, because uh, uh, the energy production uh, for solar energy goes up in the summer, which balances out the wind well. So when you look at an annualized um, average uh, for renewable energy production, uh, then that helps balance that out. Um, and um, again, the one project uh, with MidAmerican at this point isn't is a small, very small percentage, of course, of their overall portfolio. Uh, but it's a start, and it um, and it's uh, would help with the, the local uh, uh, emissions. Thank you. Um, I. Echo what the others have said. I just wanted to add that I that I really like the focus on existing buildings, especially um, greening of business and figuring out ways to incentivize improvements to those because buildings overall are an enormous contributor. But thank you for the rigor with which you went through this. This is Pauline. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Um, I also would echo what everyone said. Thank you for all this work. It's uh, very, very intense. And uh, I, I would like to echo what Susan said, though, too, that um, 
life probably won't go back to normal anytime soon. And so I would hope that you wouldn't get too hung up on like specific deadlines uh, because it, it is going to take take time to get back to normal. Uh, we can we can keep our goals in mind, but not have like strict deadlines uh, to get to. Just take our time. Uh, I, I did appreciate that. I think it gives us as a city some things to think about, especially when it comes to the uh, code. Um, code requirements, uh, because we often forget we have our, our lobbyists and we could, should utilize them uh, for that aspect to encourage them to um, work at the state house uh, to get those codes uh, changed. I also just agree with every um, one, everything that you they said, and I just would like to thank the commission of the uh, this like great work, long report that you come up with and yes this is a really good job and continue thank you well thank you matt for giving us this report we really appreciate again all of the work that the commissioners have done we realize that it's no easy task, and I, I am amazed that you all were able to break up in groups and kind of navigate through it all and the amount of time that you did because there's a lot of detail in there. So thanks again to all the commissioners. Please share that with them from the council. I will. It's our pleasure. And, and yes, it is, a, it is a long effort, but it's something that we are all certainly passionate and dedicated to. So Great. Thank you. All right, if no more questions, then we will move on in our agenda to COVID-19 updates. And of course, we're living in this moment day by day in our community where, and in our nation, as well as globally, where COVID-19 is a challenge and we're all trying to navigate how to get through it um, on various levels. Here at the city, I know that Jeff Ruin and all of the city staff has been very involved in trying to figure out things within our, things at City Hall, things within our city. Um, daily at 9 a.m., um, the city staff meets, actually at 9.30 a.m., city staff meets with a lot of the department heads and it's head, headed by Chief Greer, where we meet for um, updates and talk about things that are significant that we need to think about during this time. I know that um, many of you are aware that Johnson County has the EOC that also meets and that meets every day at 3 p.m. And there's a lot of discussions happening there from a Johnson County um, collective providers um, viewpoint a lot of people are coming and giving reports such as the hospitals uh, we do have a social service agency representative there that talks about some of the needs there and some of the things that they're doing within the community and so that is headed up by uh, uh, dave uh, and i'm going to dave coaches public health but dave wilson is headed up by dave wilson and he really is um stand on top of the ball and you know get in those reports um, and any needed items he's prioritizing that 
I did want to just talk a little, I know that we're going to talk about this um, as a council. One thing we might want to consider is potentially a resolution to our governor to request um, if people are agreeable to it. I've talked to many of you um, to request a shelter in place. We know that the governor has a 12 point system that she's talked about and she hasn't totally given information of how her configurations came about. And so we don't know all of those details except what we know is um, within our community and within our state, as of today, we have 1,048 cases. Um, today that rose by 102 cases. Um, we're up to 26 deaths and not to be totally gloomy on this topic because there has been some people that have overcome from COVID-19, but as we're looking at the, the cases going to a increasing amount, um, I think there could be some, some great purpose for sheltering in place. And so I wanted to put it out there for council to kind of think about if that's something that we wanted to do. Um, I also wanted to give a lot of praise and gratitude to those frontline workers within our community. Um, we'll start at our own city uh, with our fire and our police that are really doing a lot of frontline work. Um, we really appreciate all the things that they're doing. Uh, we have other staff that are doing frontline work that is working with people in the community that um, is at risk or, you know, COVID-19 because of the interactions with the community. And so thanks to all of those individuals that work for the city that are doing those. We in our community have the hospital staff and um, thanks to them, we have people that are in home and community-based services that are providing frontline work, thanks to them. Our grocery store, we never realized how important they were until this time. So thanks to all of them. And I know that there's a, uh, an enormous amount of other individuals. Our service, social service agencies are doing a fantastic job. There's a lot of needs out there and they're navigating various things, but they're really doing a great job. So thanks to all of them. Um, I did just wanna give maybe the update as to what the cases are within Johnson County. We have 134 cases in Johnson County. Um, Today, there were 16 cases of the 102 that I mentioned. Um, I also, just for a point of reference, since the governor has put us in regions, um, which we're part of the East Central region, which um, <laughs> Johnson County and, and Lynn County is a part of their region, but for COVID-19, we're not in the same region. But Lynn County is at 186 cases, so I just wanted to kind of definitely mention what's happening in our community and try to get some feedback from, or try to open up the discussion on COVID-19. I, I really, you know, very scared from what's going on today, especially when the update today was 16 extra in Johnson County. And the way that they put us in region and they uh, they did not include Lynn County with us, 
even though that we are very close, we, we seem to be like one community because people like uh, commute from, uh, you know, Johnson County or Lynn County all the time for work, for everything. Uh, I really believe that uh, there is a reason for the governor to just put those two counties in different region, which is uh, it's not going to make the, 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 the 12 point system coming up soon, but if they combine, of course, we already have that because we have a lot of people, you know, and the, we have 134. We have the highest increase today, which is 16. And after that, I guess it's Cut County, which is 14. This is really, you know, make me very, very concerned. And we really need to do something. If uh, sending a resolution or doing something communicated with the governor will help, I will support that definitely. We need to do something and advocate uh, for the shelter in place as soon as possible. I don't know how much people want them to get this disease in order to shut down. Uh, this is really terrified. And uh, I, I now start seeing close people that I know, they get the disease. Mm -hmm. And I know that this is not the real number because two people that I know and they're very close to me, they, are, they have this and they are not being counted because they denied tested, not like they denied tested uh, because of anything, but because, for example, a mother have it, they don't test. This is, they live here in Johnson County. I know those people, you know, and I know in another county, but we another state, we don't have to talk about that. But just speaking about our own county, I know some people, they're not being tested and they have it. So the, the number that we have in Johnson County is not the real number. And if there is a way we can do something about this, and, and the people who did not be tested, not because University of Iowa does not want to test them, no, because they have somebody in the house already being tested and they've been around them, so they don't need to be tested. They just told them that they are doing an amazing job by communicating to those people every day to ask them how they've been doing, but they, they did not be included. We need another column to be added to this. If we know the people who has been tested, that's the, the real number is 134. We need another column for the people who have it, but never been tested. Uh, I really just very concerned because the people who really gonna suffer from this is a lot of people that they don't have insurance, they cannot be treated, a lot of kind of things. Uh, if we can do something, please let us do it. Thank you. This is Pauline. I, I agree with uh, Mazi here. I think the numbers that the governor is working with, her, her metrics are not accurate. And I think that the way that she's been stating this about staying in place, people are not taking it seriously. It, it needs some teeth to it. And I, I, if we can do something to encourage her uh, to do that, uh, I, I would be in favor of that. Um, I would like to add on to what the mayor had, uh, listed some of those to uh, thank. I, I, I'd like to comment on those individuals who are continuing to work during this crisis. You're 
You're helping to keep our community afloat and safe and healthy. And I'm especially grateful, of course, to the healthcare workers and their support staff as they're right on the front lines in an effort to help to end this crisis. And in all of my years of nursing, there were only a handful of cases where we as staff members cautiously cared for a potentially contagious individual. But these folks now are, are doing this on a daily basis. Uh, it's hard to really imagine what they're going through. Uh, and, and for that reason, I was particularly disturbed um, to see some photos that were shared with me uh, this week. One in particular was of a group of people right here in Iowa City, very close to where we live, Bruce, gathering on someone's front yard uh, and their driveway in what appeared to be a party. There was no social distancing. Uh, they were all grouped very closely together. And these types of actions needlessly place others at risk. And, and this is really concerning to me. Uh, to those of you who are cautiously practicing social distancing, thank you. Um, there's still so much that's unknown about this virus. It, it, it is very serious and people have to take it more seriously. Um, these are very confusing and uncertain times, uh, but please stay home. Uh, but when you need to go out, remember social distancing, wash your hands, uh, take care, stay well, uh, put hearts in your windows and chalk your sidewalks. Uh, and, and together we can all persevere and, and get through this, but please be safe. Yeah, I, I would agree that uh, further action seems to be needed. We, you know, the numbers, as which as Mazahir was saying, we're just seeing the reported incidents. We do not know how many people are going about Iowa City and elsewhere uh, who may be transmitting the virus. So it's, it seems at this point in time, you know, we've in good faith uh, tried to keep our controls short of a shelter in place, but it does seem to me at this point in time, at a minimum, uh, a, a regional approach uh, for most of those urbanized areas of Eastern Iowa, which are, are it's, when I look at the maps now, it almost seems like all the counties are kind of converging uh, and it, it would be difficult to, to isolate, say, Washington, Johnson, and Lynn counties. It seems when you, the Quad Cities are only 60 miles away, so there's lots of opportunities for this thing to be transmitted in, in all sorts of directions. And so it does seem at this point in time where we're really at, at a critical juncture, uh, a shelter in place would be, along with, I think, greater enforcement, uh, important at this point. We're, we're constant from the very beginning, because of the lack of testing, we've been flying blind and, and having to use the bluntest of tools. And that has been, I think, for many people, the, the great frustration. We don't know, because of the lack of testing, we don't know how broad spread it is in the community. It's one of the reasons that they've asked folks to, to wear masks now. I made one, it's not pretty, but it worked, but I wear it to grocery stores right now. Um, the uh, when when I need to go out for something like that, um, I think the most effective thing I would hope would be a coalition of cities going in. I know that Cedar Rapids and Cedar Falls and Waterloo are considering similar resolutions. It wouldn't surprise me if Des Moines and Dubuque and maybe the Quad Cities consider them. Um, we we need we need to model. We need we need people if they possibly can to stay home. We need it, we need you to wear masks. 
Um, but social, sorry for the noise. I'm, there's, there is nobody here to babysit. Um, there's, there, there are different, um, there are things we can do. We can talk to people. We can FaceTime with them. We can Zoom with them. We can do what we need to in order to keep in touch. Um, but we should not be having gatherings of any size at all. And I would be supportive, particularly if we can, if we have a coalition of cities that all pass similar resolutions, um, because the as I watched the governor of Virginia decide to do a shelter in place, on one day he basically said, "Well, we're already doing the equivalent of that," and then and then Ralph Northam, who is an MD, the next day came out, realized that actually having an order has more teeth, has more meaning and came out with one that lasted through the, through the beginning of June. Um, so I, I am supportive. I'm supportive as well. I agree with what Janice has said. I think it's a lot stronger if we can get a coalition, um, whether it's working through, uh, through the Metro Coalition, Iowa League of Cities, um, to get as many on board as possible with a, a similar or, or identical um, resolution, I think that carries a lot more power um, than just one city. So I think doing it that way would be would be really helpful. And I will I'll just add I, I had communication with a long time, long time good friend um, who's a physician on the front lines of this and um, they are worried and they're you know afraid of running out of the personal protective gear. And one of the comments that was made was um, even the average symptoms of this um, are terrible, are just really, really bad for people. And so I think people are not understanding the severity of this. So anything that we can do to um, encourage and enforce the social distancing uh, to help our frontline workers, I think is really important to do. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think I'm not entirely sure what action we're proposing. I, I think I heard uh, um, communicating with the governor, asking her to make a clearer order for shelter in place. And I think a coalition of cities and um, counties providing that message and that strong request makes a lot of sense. Um, I know from just yesterday, the additional closures and the um, part of the governor's press conference that emphasized law enforcement um, and the, the guidance that would be given to um, cities about how to kind of, you know, different law enforcement agencies that could um, carry out, for example, the no groups of uh, 10 or more. And I was just wondering if staff could maybe weigh in on um, if we've gotten that guidance, if that seems practical, if we understand what that entails, um, because I think that piece of it and the explicitness with which that was communicated for the first time in the press conference yesterday is really important for our residents to understand. Um, Eleanor may have more up-to-date information than me on that. I don't think we have, I, at least I'm not aware of any guidance that has come down since yesterday's press conference. I did hear the governor um, uh, reference that, or actually the director of public safety reference that. Um, but we've, we've had guidance from the initial order uh, on what our police can and, and, and can't do. 
Um, so, Eleanor, do you want to describe the powers in that order that we have? So it, it's been clear from the start that um, the, the code allows uh, any peace officer to enforce that order. There was a little bit of messaging that confused us at one point, but that was cleared up and that happened before the governor's press conference yesterday. I think the police field a fair number of calls about gatherings of, you know, more than 10. And I, I know we're getting calls from businesses about what they can and can't do. You know, for instance, the example that Pauline used about the party in the in the driveway, that it would be completely appropriate to call the police and and ask them to address it. And I think they would do that. You know, their whole goal is to do it with education um, if they can. But, but that, there's certainly a tool for addressing that particular circumstance already. So it sounds like from the counselors, if I was to take a guess, we would be in agreement with a resolution uh, what are people thoughts if we did the resolution through the Metro Coalition or the Iowa League of Cities? I know that I heard two say yes. And yes. I, yeah, that sounds like a good idea to me. Me too, Ms. Pauline. Okay. Oh, me too. All right. Yes. We will try to navigate that some more. <laughs> so, all right. So I think Jeff you'll assist with that. Sure, yes. I can help with that. Awesome, thank you. Anything else for on COVID-19? I would just, I would just add to that, um, the, the city attorneys from the bigger cities that I'm in touch with have at various times had these conversations with their mayors um, and with their councils. And so we can certainly, I mean, if, if something would come together through the Metro Coalition, we could certainly work on having a, a document that everybody would use, whether that was a resolution or a letter to the governor or whatever. Yeah, and I, I, is it fair to say we would be fluid with whatever that looks like, whether it's a letter or a resolution? I'm seeing some nodding of heads. Yes, all right, great. All right, so clarification of agenda items. Mayor, if I could start, um, I do want to uh, inform the council that on the parking rebate item, um, I'm gonna ask for an indefinite deferral on that um, as we uh, had a little opportunity to dig deeper into our um, coverage ratio requirements that we have with our Harrison Street deck. Um, we, we have some unanswered questions on whether we'll be able to go forward with a program like that. So um, uh, basically what that means is when we built the, when we built the Harrison deck, um, we took out, it's a, it's a lease to own arrangement. And so we are paying, uh, paying that lease down until we, until we become owners of it down the road. Um, with that lease agreement, there are some coverage requirements that not, 
not just they don't just look at your fund balance, but they actually look at the annual revenue uh, coming in. So if we dip too down too low on revenue, while while we have plenty of fund balance, so uh, we, we may be um, risking defaulting on that lease, um, which um, would have a ripple effect into. Um, uh, um, our credit ratings and things like that. So we just need a little bit more time to to process that and, and to, to make sure that uh, we're not going to have any unintended consequences there. So I'll ask for indefinite deferral on that. And, and uh, I think in a few weeks, we'll have a better idea of what, what is possible, if anything, from a rebate standpoint. I had a, a very small question on item 6D, uh, which was the um, contract for the Scott Napoleon and Fair Meadows Improvement Project approving the, uh, the bid. And I, I think we were going to be adding the alternates. And in the, uh, the, council's re the council action report, it looked like the alternate one and two we're both going to be shade structures at Napoleon Park, and I wasn't sure if the uh, if that was in fact the case, or if perhaps one of those shelters was, uh, or shade structures rather, was um, going to be at one of the other sites. Yeah, I, I believe that's accurate, and I see uh, Public Works on the line; they can jump in. But at, at Napoleon. The, the playground approach uh, for this project was instead of building one central playground, there's gonna be a couple of smaller playgrounds throughout the complex. And I think the shade structures are, are destined for different locations within the park. But um, Ron and Scott, it looks like you're there. Uh, is that accurate? That's correct. Okay, thanks. I just had um, on a different item. Is that all, John? Did you have anything else on that? I, I had a question in relation to 6B, the resolution for the solid waste containers in downtown alleys. It was more of a clarification whether it might be a typo on the fifth, whereas down it says. Um, it should be extended to June 30th, 2020 to allow the city with input from the downtown district time to evaluate the current system. Is that also supposed to be June 30th, 2021, as in the final sentence? Yes, we, we caught, that, caught that, Pauline, and it's already oh. fixed. But thank you. Oh, good. Thank you. Anything else from the formal agenda? Hearing none, we will move on to info packet for March 26th. Hearing none there, <clears throat> we will move on to info packet for four, April 2nd.
just briefly mention that the deer management report is in there. If you haven't had a chance to look at that, we've gone ahead and uh, forwarded that to the state for their review. And then uh, the police department is, is working with Department of Natural Resources on the, on the parameters for a bow hunt, which will uh, eventually have to bring to you for, for guidance. Uh, so as we put that together if, uh, individually, if you have some questions, concerns about, uh, about either what we have done or what we're looking to do in the future, please uh, reach out. One, one comment I would have on the, um, the deer item would be uh, if it would be possible to have a map of the, um, the different zones, which from what I saw, it was there were descriptions, but um, if those descriptions could be translated into a map, I think it would be a little bit easier to um, understand where exactly those zones, what their what their limits are. We we do have a map, um, uh, and uh, I can forward that on to council. It, it was interesting to see how the, the the results of the hunt were not evenly distributed across the city. I mean, there are parts of Iowa City where uh, the numbers were not significantly reduced. So it will be challenging and interesting to see how the you know the follow up to this will try to help in those areas which didn't see a significant reduction. I would also comment if if counselors have read it, you will notice that they did indicate that they felt that the feeding of the deer uh, by residents in the community, I think they indicated particularly maybe around Oakland Cemetery, was a problem for them in terms of setting up successful bait sites. And I think when you look at dealing with wildlife and um, promoting their coming around buildings and, and changing behaviors, they had recommended that we might want to consider an ordinance um, banning the feeding of deer. And I think that's something that we should have a discussion about. Well, one thing I didn't see in the report, they talked about how they had sent the number of deer uh, to the meat processing plant. Uh, is that where these deer are then tested then? It didn't mention the testing them for like the wasting, chronic wasting disease. Do you know anything about that, Jeff? Yeah. They're all tested by the state, and so the, the, the deer meat is held um, by, before it's distributed, it's held until those test results are received back. Okay, thank you. And there, there were no, no positive results on the tests. Good. I'm assuming our contract was for 500, so they stopped when they got to 500. Is that correct? Um, no, there wasn't. A, there wasn't a hard number in the contract. Um, their their goal was to hit uh, 25 deer per square mile in in all the areas of the community. So um, uh, it was kind of a, a rolling number, and I think it just ended on 500, kind of coincidentally, a, a nice round number. Okay. Thank you. Anything else? All right, hearing nothing. So council updates on board assignments, commissions and committees. 
And I think if anyone has any, just chime in. I, there won't be too many. <laughs> I have nothing. I have nothing either. Nothing? Yeah. Nope. Nothing. No. Everything is canceled, although I was going to um, try and get in touch at least by email with the ECCOG people to ask them about what measures they're taking for the 380 bus that I know is still that, that is still um, uh, traveling between here and Cedar Rapids. The Access Center group has started doing Zoom meetings. Um, I think their first one was this afternoon, and I was not able to participate. So they're getting set up that way. Yeah. All right. Well, if there is nothing else for the moment, then we will... Um, Take a break and come back at 7 p.m. for our formal meeting.